Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, praise team. Man, doesn't that music sound great? You guys sound really good today. It's a good day to be here. Uh, this is kicking off our missions month, and um, we've done this for the last few years. We've actually taken missions out of our regular budget because we don't want to limit God to what he can do for us. So we are actually having another one-day contribution for uh, missions on September 26th. And I tell you, our people, our missions committee, our leaders, they have done such a great job in, um, I would say, you know, focusing in our uh, mission efforts to where we think God is, is going to be able to do uh, some real good. And uh, we are very invested in these places. Some of them we've been invested in for years. And I'm so excited uh, that we are able to help people from from central Texas to central and South America all the way to, to Africa. And, and uh, God's going to do some great things, continue to do some great things. Uh, if you just look at the, at the mission efforts of this church family over, over the last hundred plus years, it is amazing to see how the world has been reached through the efforts of a small group of people in West Texas. You guys have done such a great job, and we hope to continue even more. Uh, what we're going to do is over the next three weeks, we're going to really look at some of the missions that we do. But today, I wanted to start off by kind of giving us a glimpse into the heart of God and, and kind of who he, has a, who he has compassion for. And, and I think you'll see that the heart of God and the spirit that he has put into this place is leading us to serve those same people groups as well. Let's begin with prayer. And I would ask as we begin to pray that you remember those people who are suffering through COVID right now, many people who are friends and family of people in this very congregation who even now are struggling and fighting. Uh, so please pray for them that God does miraculous things through their life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to be able to uh, be here and to be able to worship alongside fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, people that we know very well and some that we don't. Lord, help us this morning to have minds and hearts that are focused in on you. We love you. We pray for those people who are struggling health-wise. Lord, we pray that you would turn the tide of this difficult, uh, this difficult time. Heal them completely and bring this all together again. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, am going to say one thing, that our specific goal for the 26th is very simple, but I think very reachable, and our goal is 75,000. Now, this is what I have learned, is that when, you, when we put a goal out, you usually reach it and surpass it. It's amazing what, what, what you have done for us in the past, and, and so I want you to be in prayer on how you can partner with us in the mission efforts that we are able to to participate in across the globe. Uh, so today I'm going to begin by kind of talking a little bit about the heart of God. It's been a very memorable week. Uh, in some ways it's been good, in some ways it's been bad. Uh, we've lost some very dear friends this past week. We have several friends who are, are, are again, are struggling in the hospital. This is, it culminated in what, yesterday in 9-11. And it's amazing how even still, whenever I come across a documentary or um, a moment of reflection, I'm taken right back there to that moment. We all have those times in our life where, where we remember where we were in an exact moment. And I remember where I was in that moment. And I th I'm sure many of you do too. Those of you who were born then, right? 
Um, but it is, it is a fundamentally different world than it was before that, that time. But I have a soft spot for those people who went through that. I have a, a, a place in my heart of compassion for the first responders, for those victims and their families. And it's amazing, 20 years later, you still have this compassion, this soft spot. We all have a soft spot for something. We all have a tender place in our heart for something. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I have a soft spot in my heart for a certain thing. I'll tell you what happened. Several years ago, well, it was probably, probably around 20, 19, 20 years ago, and we found a box. I don't know if it was Shelly or me, but, but we lived in a house that was on a cul-de-sac, and it was right next to a retention pond. So the road next to our house, was there was no uh, houses on it. It was just kind of a road going into another part of the neighborhood. And I don't know which one of us saw it, but there was a box, and it was on this little street, right kind of half in the grass, half out of the grass. And we saw a little head sticking up and a little puppy head was sticking up and this is I don't know if it was hot I just remember it was hot I don't know if it was the middle of summer or what but it was hot and and we went and we looked at the box and sure enough there were three little puppies in there this is not the actual picture but it was very similar there was one puppy that was trying to get help you know trying to reach out another puppy had kind of sat down because it was tired and there was a third one that was laying flat in the very bottom of the box and it, I thought it was almost gone so I'll tell you that that immediately took our time and our money and our attention right then we went straight to the vet we tried to figure out what was going to happen with these little puppies and what to do we got them dewormed and what 150 200 later we came back home and we made up a little place in the garage and i've learned all you could learn about abandoned puppies don't feed them milk that's the number one thing and we did that and they loved it and it came right back up a little later but but there, you know, my other dog was there and, and, you know, I'm like, oh, that's great. Now they have friends. Don't put in real do a normal dog with, with abandoned puppies because worms, right? We learned a lot about those things. And I, who knew I had a soft spot for puppies, right? Of course, you think to yourself, who doesn't have a soft spot for puppies? Apparently, the guy who put the puppies in a box next to our house in the middle of the heat, he doesn't have a soft spot for puppies. And I know we're talking about puppies. How many times have you heard the word puppy? In a, in a sermon before but you have a soft spot in your heart for certain groups of people how many of you have seen those commercials with sarah mclaughlin singing in the arms of an angel and you reach for your wallet before you turn the channel it, it you have a soft spot in your heart and so there are certain things that each of us have a soft spot or a compassion in our heart for uh, it could be uh, puppies it could be people groups it could be different scenarios or situations um, but what I find is that you'll notice what really gets you whenever it suddenly demands your time, your money, and your attention because you're willing to give that for those things that you are compassionate for. We all have a soft spot for certain things. We have a communal soft spot for certain situations, and that compassion moves us to do certain things. So today what I wanted to talk about very briefly is that God has a heart for the world, yes, but within the world there are groups of people that he has compassion for. He has a soft spot in his heart for certain groups of people and it seems that he has this abundance 
of compassion for them. And I wanted to kind of address those particular people today. So Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And this is an interesting chapter because Jesus starts his ministry in his hometown. He goes to Nazareth to start his ministry. And he goes to the synagogue. And he does what a lot of these um, men who were of age were to do. And, you know, like, like guys getting up here to do communion, that's what they would do. They would have guest readers say, I'd like to read today. And they would go and they would read from a particular passage. Jesus started his ministry by reading from a passage in Isaiah. And it's a well-known passage. And this is what it says. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says this and he rolls the scroll up and then he goes and he sits on the Moses seat, which is this seat that you sat on to take questions. And people were amazed because they'd heard about the miracles he'd done already. Probably specifically maybe the one in Cana, maybe some of the other things, but they heard and they were amazed. But they weren't really amazed at what he said as much as they were amazed that this man was confident. He was young, everything that you would hope your son would be. They admired him. But Jesus knew that. They were really kind of just wowed. Good boy, Jesus. Good job. We raised you right. And then he continues. He doesn't stop there. Verse 24, he says this. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now this is a story from 1 Kings chapter 17, very famous story, but it's probably not one that's told an, an awful lot. Um, a prophet of God, Elijah, is sent to Sidon, which is this little town. Uh, it's actually a, a, not a little town, but it's, it's a pretty significant city, uh, right to the north of Israel. It's not in Israel. It's actually uh, a city of foreigners during a severe famine. If you want to know where Sidon is, it's Jezebel's hometown. Remember Jezebel? The horrible, horrible queen. Uh, it's her hometown. Elijah was sent to Jezebel's hometown to find a widow. He was sent specifically to a widow. And so uh, he asked her if she would make him some food. She was on her way to make her very last bit of food. She had a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil. And uh, she said, I was just want to make this food. It's our last meal. And then I'm, we're just going to die because that's how horrible it is. Now, widows during this day were disregarded. They were insignificant. They weren't people who really mattered because they did not have a lot of value, which means they didn't have a lot of things of value to really give. They didn't have much to offer most anyone. And as far as I know, life insurance policies weren't really around back then. So if your husband passed away, you were on your own. And a lot of times, all of his possessions would transfer to the son if they were of age. And if not, it would go to his brother, another family member. Um, all that she had was the mercy of the man's brother and primarily debts and responsibilities. That's really what she had. 
uh, her, she had an orphan son. Now, orphan is not necessarily one who's lost both parents. An orphan, technically, is one who's lost one parent. Double orphan is you've lost both parents. So if you only have one parent, you technically considered an orphan, especially during this time. She, uh, this is a widow who has an orphan son. And the orphan was simply another mouth to feed. So imagine getting your brother's estate and imagine, oh great, now I've got to take care of them. Another mouth to feed. When tragedy struck you, you either went back to your family and hoped that you found a way back in or you were on your own. Being a woman in and of itself presented some significant challenges to anyone trying to make it on their own back then even still today. Widows technically really lost, could lose access to most everything. So they became easy targets. You know, uh, quick brides if, someone, if they were desperate enough and someone just needed a, a wife and they, who knew what they married into. Easy to take advantage of. In this instance, Elijah, what does he tell her? Don't be afraid. Remember we, we talked about that last, last four Lessons. Don't be afraid, he says. And he says, don't worry either. He says, in fact, go make me some food, and the oil and flour you have will never run out. It won't run out till the famine is over. So don't worry. Don't be afraid. So a bit later, the son gets, gets really sick and, and either has died or almost dies, and God heals this son as well. And what you see is that God has a heart for the poor, specifically widows, orphans. But Jesus continues. And this is what he says next. He says this, verse 27, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. This is the, the prophet that came after Elijah. There were many uh, in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Now, this is a story we've grown up reading. I did a sermon about this several months ago. But when you realize Naaman is not Jewish, it kind of changes the story. It becomes a little bit more problematic. Naaman was the general of the army that was oppressing and occupying Israel. But he was a foreigner. And he was in need. And so he humbled himself. It took him a moment, if you read the story, He's still kind of thinking, why do I have to dip in this Jordan seven times? Okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> he humbles himself and he asks Elijah for help. Uh, Elisha. It was so problematic that even in the story, Elisha's own servant says, I don't think you should be doing this and we should at least make him pay for this handsomely. But God healed him. He healed Naaman. And while there were many people in Israel who had leprosy, who did God choose to heal? Jesus says, a foreigner. And a foreigner is someone who's not necessarily native to your land, to your context, to your culture. Um, there's no sense of legal or illegal in this sense of a foreigner here. Uh, Naaman was actually an invader, an enemy but God healed him anyway. And in response, Naaman turns to God. 
I mean, it's nice to think that even a pagan can turn to God, the one true God from all of his other gods that he's chosen to follow, but framed in this way, it's a little offensive. Can you imagine the people in this audience? How dare Jesus say that God gave preference to a foreigner over an Israelite? I mean, it's okay for God to have compassion, but not for those people. They're not even Jewish. None of the people in this story that God helped are even Jewish. I mean, even in our political climate today, if one were to say that God gave preference to a member of the Taliban who was in need, over thousands of Americans who were in need, if one were to say that God gave preference over, um, gave preference to um, a widow and an orphan who were not legal in this country, over thousands of widows and orphans who are Native Americans, probably make us a little uncomfortable and angry. So how did Jesus respond to the words that he said? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is a little wordplay here. Imagine uh, at the foundation of their city, on the brow of the hill where the city was built on, at the core of their Nazarene identity, they chose to attempt to kill God's Son. At the very core of who they felt that they were, they were going completely against God. Because he chose to bless the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. It's difficult for me, and I'm sure it is for you too, to understand why God does what he does sometimes. But this is what I know. God has a soft spot for people in distress. A soft spot and compassion for people who are in a situation that makes them vulnerable and easy targets, easy to get picked on, easy to get bullied, taken advantage of. And in the Old Testament, when we look at who, at this idea in detail, we find there are hundreds of scriptures surrounding the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Hundreds talking about how God wants us to care for these people. One of the many is in Zechariah chapter 7, and this is what it says Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Now, this is one of the main issues God has with his people is that they were taking advantage of those people groups. They were taking advantage of the poor. They were taking advantage of, of these widows and, and these kids and people who were in an unfamiliar situation trying to pass through or just to get help or to make ends meet. In a very real sense, this is one of the reasons that Israel became scattered. While they lost their, I guess, their corporate identity 
That's why so many nations ultimately collapse because how we treat the least of these is indicative to how we believe and how we fear God. In the days of Jesus, these people were still marginalized. They were still vulnerable. Uh, Elizabeth mentioned this earlier in James chapter 1, 27. He says, religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, religion here is not an organization like we tend to think of it as, as today. Religion in this particular context is how we express our worship to God through the rituals, through the practices, through our default way of being. And as we move into our focus on missions and on, on what our heart is for here, I want us to prayerfully consider how we see the least of these in our community, in our world. And just as a little litmus test, how many widows and orphans do you have in your oikos, in your 8 to 15 people that you see on a consistent basis? How many foreigners do you see in your 8 to 15 and even beyond? One of the uh, questions I was asked a long time ago when I was meeting with someone who, who has a ministry specifically geared to orphans in your community and in your church, I said, okay, this sounds like a great ministry. So how do you find out how many orphans there are in our church? He says, don't you already know? And I just kind of shrunk back because I didn't. Do you know? who the oppressed are among us, even. And I have to say that there are moments when I, I'm not really paying attention. How do we treat them? How do we treat the widow? How do we treat the orphan? Those double orphans, even, without a, a mother and a father, how often do they get our attention? How often do those orphans in the system get our attention with signs and political activism? How often do we fight for orphans and the widows who need our time and our attention and our money? How often do we fight for the well-being of foreigners among us? Are we more concerned with the foreigner's legal status than we are with our humanity and needs? Because these are the people groups that we tend to write off and disregard. They're like those little puppies in that box. <laughs> How many people pass by that box? They're left to fend for themselves. They're left to survive with very few resources. And if you're uncomfortable right now, so am I. Because if we're uncomfortable, you know what? We're probably in the same shoes as Jesus' audience was back then. We tend to think about Jesus' audience as a little separate from us. But think that we sometimes are in the same boat and my question is is when Jesus starts giving preference to certain people groups that we would rather write off what are we going to do with that we choose to have compassion on them as he had compassion or will we choose to just run them out of town it's easy to get behind those issues that Jesus and I agree upon, but it's more difficult to follow whenever I disagree with him on certain things. But the bottom line here is this. God's heart is with 
humanity. It is with people, but it is also with those people who get disregarded and ignored and oppressed, the people groups that sometimes we may indirectly write off. And I want you to think about that this week because this is going to really help us as we move forward with how we are going to share the gospel with the world. Not only the gospel, but, but share basic needs with the world. You know, what is your soft spot? Who gets your compassion? Who gets your time and your money and your attention? Who in your world is enough to make you stop what you're doing and focus on them? It's a very serious question. And I've been asking it to myself as well. So we're all together here. Our leadership has a heart for people. They have a heart for these people groups as well. So in the next few weeks, we're going to show you where God is leading us. And we're going to ask that you partner and join with us as we, as we attempt mission efforts that both share the gospel and share the basic needs of life with people who most of the world has written off. God be with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you love so deeply. We don't deserve it. No one deserves it. And Lord, help us to not be so proud that we cannot humble ourselves to help our neighbor. Lord, help us not to be so self-centered that we cannot love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord, as you lead us in, into this, this uh, next year of, of changing the world, Lord, help us to be people who, who are not necessarily comfortable, but faithful in the middle of uncomfortable situations so that we can actually help shape the world and the gospel that you so desperately want to send to it. Thank you for saving us. Lord, help us to be people who are compassionate for others. In Jesus' name, amen.